Lord God, help us to rejoice in the right things and to mourn when things are not as they should be. Speak, O Lord, that we may play our part in furthering your kingdom. Amen. Please be seated. The observant among you will have noticed that whilst the choir was singing the anthem, that clock went forward two hours, and I don't know why. But I'm wanting to tell you, just in case you think the sermon's gone on longer than you thought. Uh, tomorrow is July the 4th. It's not only uh, the certain person's birthday that I mentioned earlier, but it's a significant day for our American friends, of course, because they will be commemorating their declaration of independence from British rule in 1776. And uh, Francis and my daughter and family across the pond will be enjoying a public holiday. Independence for the USA and for many countries that are represented in MCHW's cultural groups is highly significant and valued. For America, it establishes rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Independence. My father liked his independence. Some will know he died a, a few years ago. He's the most determined and independent person you could meet. In his 80s, wheelchair-bound uh, due to living with Parkinson's, he'd be determined to do his own thing. My brother built him a ramp so that he could still get into the greenhouse and spend hours potting plants, or get down into the garage so that he could fix things with his vast array of tools. The trouble is he was so very frail, which often meant that he would fall as the Parkinson's got worse. His carer scolded him one day for trying to climb some steps, would you believe it, to try and reach a high shelf. Another time, she completely lost him. Everything had gone quiet. Uh, she went to check he was okay in his study, where he was trying to write a few letters, and he'd vanished. Uh, somehow, he'd managed to get into the garage, into, onto his scooter, out of the garage and was hurtling down the road towards the shops. Now, you wouldn't think that was too bad, but Dad was duly reprimanded by his carer. First of all, she didn't know what he was doing, but secondly, uh, he was a danger to himself and a danger to others at that stage when he went out in his scooter. But I had to admire him, his pursuit of freedom and happiness. And I guess we all have an independent streak. And that can be very good, of course. Henry Ward Beecher, who was an Anglican clergyman, actually once said, the real democratic American idea is not that every man shall be on a level with every other man, but that every man shall have liberty to be what God made him and without hindrance. And it's important that we find our own identity, that we blossom and hopefully find fulfillment in our life and calling. Yet total freedom and the pursuit of happiness for ourselves alone can prove very shallow, short-lived and disappointing. Just look at some of the sadness 
and darkness that there is in our world. And even amongst those who have so much and so much power. You see, I believe we were made to be as God intended us to be. Unique individuals who flourish and bear fruit. But we're to live interdependently in community with others and serving others. And what's more, we're to live in a relationship with God. Ultimately finding fulfillment through love and obedience. So we can't be totally independent because we're answerable to God. Now we see this in Galatians chapter 6 that we had read for us earlier by Isaiah, where Paul gives a proverb, a man reaps what he sows. And he speaks of different types of harvest. The harvest of the flesh, totally about self, and that of the spirit, which are in stark contrast The way of the flesh, Paul says, was embodied by the self-centered Galatian culture. And it would yield corruption. Yet Christ-centeredness that flows from the Spirit would yield eternal life. So in Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, we're reminded, like any harvest, the fruit of the Spirit takes time to develop, yet it requires doing what is right and working for the good of all. So there's a sense that, yes, we bear fruit, we're independent, we find who we are, but we have to do that in relationship with one another and for the good of all. And I believe a world that just lives totally independently and independently of God is lost and desperately needs good news and the new community that Jesus alone can bring. And Luke's gospel shows us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's a very clear message in Luke's gospel. So let's have a look at that Jesus that came to seek and save the lost. First of all, he goes out to the towns and the villages to enable people to find his father, to restore their relationship with their creator, to transform communities. Once he'd been out, he then, and we read this earlier in Luke's gospel, sends out the 12. The 12 go out. And now in today's reading, the mission's building, Jesus appoints 70 followers to go out. And at a point of interest, that according to Genesis 10, there were 70 Gentile nations. So when the 70 went out, it was very symbolic. They went out to all, commissioned to spread the good news, teaching and healing in our Lord's name. And there was a sense of urgency. Jesus needed those who he was sending out. The harvest is plentiful, he said, but the workers are few. I need you. And so he commissioned them, go. Jane Williams, uh, the wife of Rowan Williams, uh, writes these words. They are sent off with a picture to ponder as they hurry through the countryside. Jesus tells them that it is as though all around them the fields are full to bursting with food, waiting to be harvested, perfectly ripe. 
another day or two, it will rot or be eaten by the birds and animals. Can you feel that sense of urgency about the harvest? You see, when a harvest is ready, and especially in those days, it demanded activity. But there was no one in the fields. There was a need for people. And people needed to pull together before it was too late. You see, a farmer can't do it on his own. The whole community needs to come out and to help. And without the harvest, the people would starve. They would die. So this was a very much a corporate work. And the message I think Jesus was saying here is this mission is not just his mission. He needs us and we need to be working together and we mustn't leave it too late because nobody knows the hour. The harvesters needed to be awake. They needed to go with their eyes open. And Jesus said, I'm sending you out. And he mixes his metaphor now and he says, like lambs among wolves. In other words, it's not going to be easy. This would mean relying on receiving as well as giving God's blessing. Hence, he talks about the importance of prayer and hospitality. That sense of urgency, he says, travel light. Don't take too much with you. And gratefully receive what is given to you when it's offered. But moving swiftly on when it's not. One of the messages I hear here is the importance of not coercing people or spending ages trying to twist somebody's arm. We need to pray. We need to work, but sometimes we need to move on. And Jesus said, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Remember the Gentiles, that means whatever they give you. For your worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. In other words, if people are providing for you, don't, don't exploit the people. Move on. Get on with the work. And when they're welcomed, he says, heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, it's not just about helping people. It's about the kingdom of God. And if people won't listen, the message is, if you're found that you're unwelcome, shake the dust off of your feet. In other words, it's probably not about you. They're not necessarily rejecting you. Don't take it personally. It's God who's being rejected. It's God's work, not the followers of Jesus. Don't think it's all about you. Let's just be obedient. So after sending them out, Jesus then rejoices when they come back in and they have a debriefing. So there's been this three-phase of mission. Jesus going out, the disciples going out, the followers going out, and then they come back and he debriefs. We do this in the church. After big events, we get together in the leadership team and we say, how did it go? And the 70 returned from their mission full of joy because all of them, all of the things they were able to do in Jesus' name spreading the good news, engaging with hospitality, sharing God's peace, all ways of giving and receiving God's blessing. And they even boasted as they came back, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
Now, they shouldn't have been surprised about that. Neither should we, actually. And then Jesus says something very significant. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, when they had done what they were meant to do, Jesus sees not just people who chuffed with what they've done, he sees Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I believe that's what happens when we're obedient. Our Lord enabled his followers to overcome the power of the enemy in the world. And nothing would harm them ultimately. But they couldn't do this alone. Jesus couldn't do it alone. Only together and with Jesus' enabling. And finally then Jesus says to them, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you know out of all the verses, this is the one that really caught me in this passage. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The important thing is not the miracles or the work itself. The important thing is that people are saved. That the followers of Jesus are saved. I wonder what motivates us in our Christian service. Have we lost sometimes the joy of our salvation that we see there in the disciples? Have we become comfortable in our faith? Have we lost that passion to share the gospel, not only in deed, but in word? And are we concerned enough that the names of our friends, our family, our colleagues, even those we don't know, are actually written in heaven. I find that a challenge. Just think of those now that come to mind who don't know Jesus. Not to coerce them, but we must love them and speak about the gospel in, in ways that we hope the Lord will use. Because what matters it's not our works, but whether their names are written in heaven. They'll never listen to us unless we go about the works. Jesus wants that too. But do we speak the name of Jesus to those that we love and those we ought to love? Oh, that we may fall on our knees in prayer for those who don't yet know Jesus. That they become part of our community of faith that are restored into the body of Christ or find their way into the body of Christ. You see, I believe this independent world, quite often, is far from a happy place. You see, many are still unwell and grieving and lonely or frail. Many are fearful of death. Many are anxious, unemployed, struggling financially, mentally, and emotionally too. Desperate, unfulfilled, and joyless. They won't always admit it. But who will come alongside these people, those who are in need? Who will go into our cities, towns, and villages to share the good news in word and deed and help nurture wholesome and 
peaceful communities? Who will help people to live interdependently? And we need that so much at the moment. Who will help people to know the love of God? In Galatians 6, we read those lovely closing words from verse 9 when Paul said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I believe Jesus is asking us all this morning, who will go? Don't leave it to somebody else because the problem is they might be doing the same thing. I believe we've all been appointed. It's another wave of the mission to be sent out into the world and I believe we're appointed to go together, not on our own. And the question is whether we will accept our divine appointment. Now, it's not going to be easy. Jesus said, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. But remember this as I close. close. Wolves seek out the sheep that are lost, sick, isolated, and in the dark. There is strength and protection when the flock operates together in the light and protected by the good shepherd. Who will go? Amen.